ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so resuming then after the break from where we left off and that was on the eighth doubt where the author says فَإِنْ قَالْ أَشْشِرْكُ عِبَادَةُ الْأَصْنَامِ وَنَحْنُ لَا نَعْبُدُ الْأَصْنَامِ If he says to you, meaning the mushrik, that shirk is the worship of idols. If the mushrik now says to you that shirk is the worship of idols, وَنَحْنُ لَا نَعْبُدُ الْأَصْنَامِ And we do not worship idols. If he says to you that shirk is the worship of idols, it is worshipping idols, but we don't worship idols. فَقُلْ لَهُ So then say to him, مَا مَعْنَ عِبَادَةِ الْأَصْنَامِ What is the actual meaning? of worshipping idols. What is the meaning of this phrase? What is the meaning of this or these words? Worshipping idols. أَتَظُنُّ أَنَّهُمْ يَعْتَقِدُونَ أَنَّ تِلْكَ الْأَخْشَابِ وَالْأَحْجَارِ تَخْلُقُ وَتَرْزُقُ وَتُدَبِّرُ أَمْرَ مَنْ دَعَاهَا فَهَذَا يُكَذِّبُهُ الْقُرْآنِ Say to him, do you think that they used to believe that those pieces of wood and stone, those idols that they used to worship, do you think that they, the mushrikun earlier, used to believe that they can create or give sustenance or that they can control the affairs and bring about various affairs for the ones who call upon them? Say to him, do you think that's what they used to believe? Do you think they used to believe that their idols create and give life and that they provide and give sustenance and that they can bring about and control the affairs for the ones who call upon them. فَهَذَا يُكَذِّبُهُ الْقُرْآنِ This is something that is nullified by the Qur'an. It is something which is declared null and void by the Qur'an. That is not what they used to believe. The mushrikun who used to worship the idols did not used to believe that their idols can create they did not used to believe that their idols can provide sustenance. They did not used to believe that their idols control the affairs for the one who calls upon them. But then if he says, 
هو من قصد خشبة أو حجرا أو أبنية على قبر أو غيره if he says well that is the one meaning remember the question was what is the worship of idols if he says well the worship of idols is the one who calls upon or has his connection or attachment or objective and goal aimed at these pieces of wood or these rocks or these structures that they build on top of graves, these shrines, or other than that, that they direct themselves to them, and they call upon them, make dua to them, and sacrifice for them. And they would say that this brings us closer to Allah via them, وَيَدْفَعُ اللَّهُ عَنَّا بِبَرَكَتِهِ And that Allah removes harm from us by the barakah of these other idols of theirs. أَوْ يُعْطِينَا بِبَرَكَتِهِ Oh, that Allah gives us and brings us good via the barakah of these idols. If that's what he says, then say to him, صَدَقْتْ That you have spoken the truth. That is correct. That is exactly what their worship of the idols was. That they would call upon them and they would slaughter for them, believing that there was barakah in them, that Allah would bring them good or remove harm, and that it would bring them closer to Allah via these idols of theirs. That's exactly what they did. فعلكم عند الأحجار والأبنية التي على القبور وغيرها and this is exactly what you do this is exactly what you do talking to this mushrik now you do exactly that you call upon these others besides Allah desiring closeness to Allah as you claim you make dua to them, you may sacrifice to them, do all these other actions to these idols of yours, these others besides Allah, shrines upon the graves and the dead that you call upon, believing that it will be a means of gaining closeness to Allah, believing that these were great righteous people and via their barakah, you will gain closeness to Allah, and that Allah will remove harm from you via their barakah for you, and that Allah will bring good to you via the barakah from them. That's exactly what you do and what you believe. فَهَذَا أَقَرَّ أَنَّ فِعْلَهُمْ هَذَا هُوَ عِبَادَةُ الْأَصْنَامِ فَهُوَ الْمَطْلُوبِ So then the individual has essentially accepted and acknowledged himself that his actions are shirk. How so? At the beginning of this doubt, the mushrik was saying that shirk is the worship of idols and we don't worship idols. So then you say to him, what exactly is the meaning of worshiping idols? Do you think that those old mushrikun 
when they worshipped idols that they believed those idols can create? Obviously the mushrik knows that is not the case because the Quran tells you that is not the case. Do you believe that those mushrikun when they worshipped the idols believed that the idols provide them sustenance and rizq? He cannot say yes, the Quran tells you that is wrong. They never believed that. Do you believe when they worshipped the idols that it was because they believed the idols can control the affairs and idols themselves can bring them good and remove harm, that the idols control what is going on? They did not. And the Quran tells us they did not believe that. So now the mushrik, you have asked him, what is the meaning of worshipping idols? Because right now you're telling us shirk is worshipping idols. So let's establish what is worshipping idols. The mushrikun, when they worshipped idols, they did so not believing that the idols can create, not believing that the idols are the ones who provide them sustenance and rizq, not believing that the idols are the ones who control the affairs, yet they were still deemed as worshipping the idols. They were worshipping the idols still. So how were they if they didn't believe in any of those things? It's the rest of it. They were going to their idols, believing that they would be the intermediaries to Allah for them, that goodness would be brought for them or harm would be removed from them via the barakah of these idols of theirs, that the affairs are in the control of Allah, but goodness and harm and these affairs can be impacted via the barakah, the intercession of these idols. That was their worship of idols. And right now this person, what is he doing? Exactly that. But he was trying to make the point that shirk is worshipping idols, as though to say the same as the previous point, that seeking intercession and their barakah and these things isn't classed as worshipping them. But the reality is those types of affairs are classed as worshipping them. So now you have established with him that worshipping idols doesn't mean that you have to believe the idols create and that you have to believe the idols provide rizq, sustenance and provisions or that you have to believe the idols control the affairs. You don't have to believe those things to be deemed as worshipping the idols. The mushrikun did not believe in those things, but they were mushrikun. They were committing shirk. So shirk is not to believe only that they create and provide and sustain. Rather, shirk is calling upon them besides Allah as intermediaries, as intercessors, believing there is barakah in them and believing that Allah will give you goodness or remove harm if you make dua via these dead people in their graves. That was the shirk that the early mushrikun were practicing. And that is exactly what the point is here as Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab is making. The mushrikun at his time were doing exactly that. 
They were going to the dead in their graves, calling upon them, sacrificing to them, doing the acts that they were doing, not necessarily because they believed these dead can bring life and death and control the universe, no. But because they believed via these dead, there was barakah for them. Via these dead, there was intercession for them to Allah. And that act itself is shirk. Not only to the dead in the graves, even if you were to do that at the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, it would be deemed as shirk. Going to the grave of the messenger and calling upon him and seeking barakah and take my dua to Allah, even that would be classed under the same type of affair. So, فَقُلَّهُ When this mushrik understands now that worshipping idols, that phrase doesn't mean somebody who goes and believes that the idols create and give life and control the universe. No. It is simply that they call upon them requiring or wanting the barakah and the intercession from them as intermediaries for them. That is classed as worship. And therefore those actions are classed as shirk. فَقُلْ صَدَقْتَ وَلَكِنْ هَذَا هُوَ بِعَيْنِهِ فِعْلُكُمْ And remember the way the argument occurred here or the way the debate occurred here, it was the mushrik himself who acknowledged this upon himself. Because when he said, shirk is worshipping idols, you then said to him, okay, let's establish what worshipping idols is. And straight away you've explained to him, it cannot be that you believe they create and give rizq and control the universe because there are clear ayat in the Quran that tell us, many ayat if you were to ask them who create the heavens and the earth, who is the Lord of the throne, they all say, Allah. So it can't be any of those things. So what is it then? So then he says to you, well, it is that they go to them seeking barakah from them and seeking intercession from them and seeking them to be intermediaries, that type of thing then. So then you say to him, absolutely, sadaqt. However, that's exactly what you do. He has now established it himself, what the meaning of shirk is. And then you tell him, absolutely, you're right. And what is it that you do right now then? What is it that you do when you go to the graves? Why are you going to these shrines? For exactly those reasons that you've now highlighted as the definition of shirk. فَهَذَا أَقَرَّ أَنَّ فِعْلَهُمْ هَذَا هُوَ عِبَادَةُ الْأَصْنَامِ فَهُوَ الْمَطْلُوبِ So that individual has now acknowledged that his own actions in reality are in the definition of worshipping the idols and committing shirk. And that is what is required in this case. فَالْمَطْلُوبِ إِقْرَارُهُ بِالْحَقِّ وَكَشْفِ شُبْهَتِهِ وَقَدْ إِنْكَشَفْتَ شُبْهَتَهُ وَانْدَحَضْتَ حُجَّتَهُ وَقَدْ إِنْكَشَفَتْ شُبْهَتُهُ وَانْدَحَضَتْ حُجَّتُهُ وَتَبَيَّنَتْ جَهَالَتُهُ وَضَلَالَتُهُ So the purpose here and what you're trying to do with him is to acknowledge the truth. For him to acknowledge the truth. And for this doubt of his, that shirk is only worshipping idols, as though that is something different to what they are doing. And it is not. 
وحاصله أنك تقول هل هم يعتقدون أنها تخلق So the conclusion and the summary of this point is that you basically say to him did they used to believe when they worshipped the idols did they used to believe that their idols create he cannot say yes the Quran tells you no when they worshipped the idols in the past you say to this mushrik did they used to believe that their idols control the universe he cannot say yes the Quran tells you clearly no did they used to believe that those idols provide rizq for them he cannot say yes the Quran tells you clearly no so then you have established to him that those types of things are not the definition of worshipping idols, but rather all the rest which he then explained to you, that is the definition of worshipping idols, and that is exactly what you are doing. The second response you can give to him in this one, where he has tried to tell you that worshipping idols, it is when they used to worship their other deities, and he's trying to indicate to you that was something different to what they are doing. The second response you can give to him, وَيُقَالُ لَهُ أَيْضًا قَوْلُكَ أَشِّرْكُ عِبَادَةُ الْأَصْنَامِ That this statement of yours, whereby you are saying that shirk is the worship of idols, هَلْ مُرَادُكَ is your intent Do you intend with this statement of yours that shirk is the worship of idols? Do you intend that this is all that shirk is? That shirk is restricted to this meaning? That shirk, the whole of shirk is just that? the worship of idols is that what you intend you then ask him this when you're now saying that shirk is the worship of idols are you meaning by that statement of yours that shirk is restricted to this act the worship of idols and everything else is not shirk is that what you mean عَلَى الصَّالِحِينَ وَدُعَاءَهُمْ لَا يَدْخُلُ فِي ذَلِكَ And that depending upon, relying upon the righteous and calling upon them that these types of actions don't enter into the definition of shirk. This is what you are saying to him now. Your definition that shirk is the worship of idols. Does that mean calling upon the righteous people and depending upon them and relying upon them, having your reliance and dependence in them, calling upon them, those types of things don't come into the definition of shirk then? Is that what you're trying to say? فَهَذَا يَرُدُّهُ مَا ذَكَرَهُ اللَّهُ فِي كِتَابِهِ مِنْ كُفْرِ مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ if he attempts to say yes, if he attempts to say yes to that, that shirk is the worship of idols and relying upon and having your dependence and your attachment of your heart 
to these deceased individuals seeking barakah and those whatever affairs it is, that these types of things do not enter into the definition of shirk. If that's what he tries to say, then as it's already been mentioned, the Qur'an refutes that and rejects that definition of his. Rather, calling upon the deceased, depending upon them, relying upon them, then it is a form of worship of them. Because reliance and dependence and trust and these affairs are acts of worship from the heart. We know that worship, it is worship upon the limbs, physical acts of worship. You pray physically, you do hajj physically, physical acts of worship. But then there are also acts of worship that occur upon the tongue, verbal acts of worship, recitation of the Qur'an, the shahada, various other things that are verbal acts of worship. And then there are also, there are also acts of worship that are within the heart, trust and dependence and reliance and love and fear and hope. All of these types of acts are acts of worship from the heart. So now, having dependence and reliance upon the deceased, then you are performing an element of an act of worship there. And that's why some of the scholars, they used to say, even the terminology you have to be very careful with. That one of them, he used to say, that I dislike when people say, I'm depending on you. A very common phrase. You say to somebody, you know, tomorrow I need that, that particular machine. I'm doing some refurbishment. I need to borrow that trimmer or something off you. It has to be tomorrow because this builder, this thing, that thing. I need to get it off you tomorrow. Remember to bring it. I'm depending on you. Very common phrase, very common language. However, they used to say, one of them used to say from the Mashaykh of Medina, I dislike this phrase. That you say to someone, yeah, I need this, I need that, make sure this happens, that happens, make sure we take care of that tomorrow, I'm depending on you. He used to say, I dislike that you use this phrase with the people. Not because it directly is shirk, because of course your intention is not of a matter of worship or shirk, but just the phrase in that way, because dependence and reliance is an act of worship, the phrase in that way could be misunderstood, it could be misconstrued, and it can have an element of overlap where a person doesn't remember that ultimately it's not about him. It's not about him. Ultimately, you are not depending on him to take care of that issue tomorrow. Ultimately, your dependence is upon Allah. But a person may become neglectful. He may become neglectful. That person is an expert in something, he's a professional in some field, he's going to come and sort something out in your house, something broken, he has to fix it, he's the only one you can find. And so all of a sudden people without realizing neglect, they begin to actually have some dependence in him. And they start talking, well hopefully he'll come tomorrow, inshallah he'll do it. That brother, he has to come. If he doesn't, I don't know what we're going to do. It's almost as if sometimes people do forget. 
Your dependence and your reliance isn't upon Him. It is upon Allah for your affair to be fixed. Maybe in a medical sense, uh, 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 an operation, some surgery, your dependence and your reliance is not upon the expertise of this surgeon. 50 years expert, never had a failed operation. Your dependence isn't in the surgeon. But how many people may become neglectful and their hearts become attached to the surgeon? He's a good surgeon, 50 years, no fails, no nothing, excellent, always part. You become neglectful at times. So one of the scholars used to say, I dislike that the people say, I'm depending on you. Take care of such and such, I'm depending on you. Just in case some element of neglect enters into the heart of a person. So no doubt those kinds of actions are actions of worship. So then you say to him, that if you're going to try and say, depending upon these righteous people, relying upon these righteous people, having your hearts connected to them, that these types of affairs are not shirk, then the Qur'an rejects this claim of yours. For indeed, the Qur'an has mentioned how individuals committed kufr due to their attachment to the angels, their dependence and their reliance and their attachment to the angels, or their dependence and their reliance and their attachment to Isa salam, or to the others from the righteous. So then in that case, once those details are clarified once again from the Qur'an, فَلَا بُدَّ أَنْ يُقِرَّ لَكَ أَنَّ مَنْ أَشْرَكَ فِي عِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ فَهَذَا هُوَ الشِّرْكُ الْمَذْكُورُ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْمَطْلُوبِ So then, he will have to acknowledge, again, that the one who therefore associates partners with Allah in the worship of Allah, any partners, anyone from the righteous, in calling upon him, relying upon him, depending upon him, then that is the very nature of the shirk that the Qur'an speaks about. He will have to acknowledge that. He will not be able to say, the Qur'an is talking about them believing their idols created besides Allah. Qur'an clearly tells you that is not what they believed. So he will have to acknowledge the reality of what the shirk is, and what the Qur'an has mentioned, and that is what is required of him. And the secret behind this, the Shaykh now says, and the secret behind this topic, how you clarify this to the mushrik, that when he says, if he says, Ana. La ushriku billah. If he says, I don't worship Allah, uh, sorry, I don't commit shirk along with Allah. If he says, I do not commit shirk alongside Allah, فَقُلَّهُ Then say to him, and this is the conclusion, the, the secret behind this, say to him then, if he says, he's not committing shirk along with Allah in the actions that he's doing, say to him, Define shirk then. Mashirku billah. What exactly do you think constitutes shirk with Allah then? 
If your actions right now of going and making dua to the dead, relying upon them, depending upon them, seeking barakah from them, all of these things, you don't believe any of that enters into shirk, then define to me what the shirk of the mushrikeen was. Define to me, clarify to me the definition of shirk. What were those mushrikun upon at the time of the Prophet ﷺ in that case? Fassirhuli, clarify it to me. فَإِنْ قَالْ Maybe he'll begin with his obvious answer, it is the worship of idols. فَقُلْ So then you say to him, مَا مَعْنَ عِبَادَةِ الْأَصْنَامِ Okay, define to me then, what is the meaning of worshipping idols? فَسِّرْهَا لِي Clarify and explain that to me. فَإِنْ قَالْ أَنَا لَا أَعْبُدُ إِلَّا اللَّهَ وَحْدَهِ if he says, look, I don't worship anyone besides Allah. I don't worship anyone except Allah. فَقُلْ Then say to him, مَا مَعْنَ عِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهِ Then what is the meaning of worshipping Allah alone as you claim to be doing? Define that for me. Define to me how you worship Allah alone. Give me the definition of your understanding of that. فَإِنْ فَصَّرَهَا بِمَا بَيَّنَهُ الْقُرْآنُ فَهُوَ الْمَطْلُوبِ If he manages to give you the correct definition of it, he actually gives you the correct definition of worshipping Allah alone, then you say, Alhamdulillah, we have come to a conclusion. He has come to the conclusion which is correct. But if he does not, وَإِن لَمْ يَعَرِفْهُ If he doesn't know the reality, of how worshipping Allah alone is, what worshipping Allah alone is, if he doesn't know the reality of that, and he's not able to give you an answer to that, فَكَيْفَ يَدَّعِي شَيْئًا وَهُوَ لَا يَعْرِفُ Then how can he claim something that he does not know of? How can he claim that he's not committing shirk alongside Allah, and when you say to him, define shirk to me, if he's unable, then how is he claiming not to be committing shirk if he is unable to even define what shirk is? How can he be claiming that he worships Allah alone if he is unable to define what worshiping Allah alone is? And that's an important general point. A person, how can you claim an affair if you have no idea of what that affair is? It is a bit like, reminds me of when they say, when people say, they used to say in, in the faculty of hadith when talking about the levels of the scholars, when somebody says, Sheikh bin Baz, he was more knowledgeable than a Sheikh al a Sheikh bin Baz was more knowledgeable than a Sheikh al They would say, how do you know that? What is the only way you personally could know that? Personally, yourself directly. What's the only way in reality? He has to know. And he has to know enough knowledge to be able to decide. So you have to have enough knowledge to be able to decide, which means you have to have enough knowledge which is at least a little bit more than both of a Shaykh al and Shaykh bin Baz. You have to be more knowledgeable than both of them to be able to decide he's more knowledgeable. 
Like a teacher. A teacher can decide between his students, such and such, he's definitely more knowledgeable than such and such. A teacher can do that. A teacher could decide between his students because the teacher knows more than his students. So he knows, I've checked their homeworks, I've checked their assignments in discussions in class. Such and such a student, he's definitely more knowledgeable than such and such. A teacher could do that because he is above the level of those under him studying, for example. But when they say, Sheikh bin Baz is more knowledgeable than Sheikh Al-Athameen, you know. <coughs> you directly as an individual are not able to make that conclusion, you personally, directly. Because you are not above them to be able to decide in the first place, he knows about this, Sheikh Al-Athameen didn't know about that, this topic he knows, he didn't know, how are you going to do that? You can obviously make those type of statements based upon secondary resources meaning what the other scholars have said about things, and what they may have said themselves about things. So you could say, a Shaykh al-Albani was more knowledgeable than Shaykh bin Baz in hadith. You could say that. Not because you are more knowledgeable than Shaykh al-Albani in hadith, and Shaykh bin Baz in hadith, and you've been able to judge between them, yes, Shaykh al-Albani had more knowledge. Not because of that, but because of other affairs leading to that conclusion, from the affairs that Sheikh bin Baz himself declared as Sheikh al-Albani to be more knowledgeable in the affair. And those kinds of examples, you see them. On one occasion, I remember somebody came to a Sheikh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi, from the eldest of the scholars of Medina now. They came to him asking him a question on a particular hadith or some issue in the sciences of hadith, something to do with hadith. And this was just a private gathering in the haram one day, it wasn't a class or nothing, we were just sitting. Somebody came and asked the shaykh a question about hadith. The shaykh said to him, maybe he gave him a very brief answer, it's like this, it's like that, but then he said to him, however, however, and from what I recall, he didn't even give any answer. He just said to him, go to him. Ask him because he is a mountain in hadith. And he was referring, you know, in the haram where Shaykh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi sits, if this is his position, uh, if the chair is facing me, you're sitting facing the chair of Shaykh Ali Nasr, that's the way he was sitting that day. Remember the incident? And he pointed that way, from that angle, that way, for those who know the haram, he's pointing to Shaykh Abdul Mahsin al-Abbad. He said, go to Shaykh Abdul Mahsin al-Abbad, he is a jabal in hadith. And that's amazing. Sheikh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi is from the eldest of the scholars in Medina now. From the, in the world now. From the eldest of the scholars. And he's there, asked a question on hadith from some youngster maybe in his 20s. He says, go to such and such. Go to him, Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abbad, he's a jabal in hadith. So now you could say, okay, Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abbad is more knowledgeable than Sheikh Ali, for example, in affairs of hadith. In other topics, you may deduce. You could say, Sheikh Ali Nasr, when it comes to the books of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, is probably more knowledgeable than some of the other mashaykh. You could maybe deduce that. Because there's nobody that I know of who teaches more books and goes through more of the books of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab than Sheikh Ali Nasr in Medina. Always going through his books, one after the next. And the books of Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Saudi, these affairs give you an indication of things. So we digressed somewhere, but the point here is, was sirrul mas'ala, 
So then you say to him, give me the definition, the definition of what Tawheed is. If he's unable to give it, ah, this was the point. If he's unable to give it, then how can he claim something that he doesn't have knowledge of? How can he claim something that he doesn't have knowledge of? And that's, you know, we spoke about the example of the scholars. That's just something they used to mention sometimes in hadith. But it's also very prevalent in many other affairs amongst us all. That a person will be very passionate about a particular position on something. You must put the hands back on the chest after the ruku'ah. As an example, passionate about you must do it, you must do it. But then if you sit down with that person, then he barely has a, any evidence that he actually knows of properly regarding why. And he barely knows properly in any kind of detail as to the other opinion why you leave it down by your side. So, as students of knowledge, passion about affairs is good, but it must be with understanding and comprehension. That's why the scholars, they used to say many things, the amr is wasi'ah. You have some leeway in affairs, especially these affairs of fiqh. So a person should not become, you must put your hands back on the chest. You must put them back down by their side. And you become almost like arguing and passionate and the heat coming out. It should not be to that level on these kinds of affairs, especially, especially when a person maybe doesn't even have that much detailed understanding of the opinions. You don't even have that detailed knowledge and you've never properly sat down and gone through detailed books of fiqh to properly understand those differences. The hadith now about the camel. The hadith about the camel when you go down into prostration. Is it with your hands first or your knees first? The hadith of the camel proves which one? Both it depends. And a person may not know. He may read the opinion of a Shaykh al Uthameen, for example, and he's using the hadith of the camel, and then he comes, but Shaykh al Uthameen said, and the hadith of the camel, and this and that. And the other person turns around and says, well, yes, the hadith of the camel actually indicates, and all of a sudden he's used it for his position. And the other one is left gobsmacked. I thought that was my evidence. So you have to have some knowledge and understanding of the affairs before becoming overly engrossed. <clears throat> so then if he doesn't understand, how can he claim an affair that he doesn't even know of? And if he ends up explaining it with a meaning other than its correct meaning, if he doesn't answer, he's unable to answer with the correct answer regarding Tawheed and Shirk and their definitions. Then at that stage, you begin to quote to him and clarify to him from the ayat of the Quran regarding what the definition of Shirk is, what those mushrikun were upon, what Allah mentioned regarding them and their beliefs and their practices. And you clarify to him what their shirk was. And then it becomes clarified to him that what he's doing is exactly what they were doing. And these actions were deemed as shirk in the Quran regarding those mushrikun. Uh, 
So then, بَيَّنْتَ لَهُ الْآيَاتِ الْوَاضِحَاتِ فِي مَعْنَ شِرْكِ بِاللَّهِ وَعِبَادَةِ الْأَوْثَانِ أَنَّهُ الَّذِي يَفْعَلُونَهُ فِي هَذَا الزَّمَانِ بَعَيْنِهِ You clarify to him, it's exactly what you are doing right now. What the mushrikun used to be doing at that time. وَأَنَّ عِبَادَةَ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ هِيَ الَّتِي يُنْكِرُونَ عَلَيْنَا And that the reality of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and not associating partners to him, that reality of Tawheed is what the mushrikun reject upon us. The reality of Tawheed and the reality of shirk that is warned against, that's what they have their issue with because they do not understand the reality of it. وَيَصِيحُونَ فِيهِ كَمَا صَاحَ إِخْوَانُهُمْ And they raise their voices and scream and shout when it comes to this affair of Tawheed and you're clarifying this Tawheed to them and it is the worship of Allah alone and the abandonment of all others besides Him not allowed to make dua to others, to depend on others, to rely upon others. You're clarifying all this to them and they scream and shout then. They begin screaming and shouting just as their brothers did, meaning the early mushrikun, when they said, أَجَعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا إِنَّ هَذَا لَشَيْنْ عُجَابٌ When the Prophet wasallam said to those mushrikun, when he said to them, قُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ تُفْلِحُوا Say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Meaning, say that there is none worthy of worship in truth except Allah, and then worship only Allah alone, knowing that there is nobody else deserving of worship besides Allah. When the Prophet said that to them, they said, أَجَعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا is he trying to make all of our gods into just one? Inna hadha la shayun hujab. That is something rejected, that is something bewildering, that is something not acceptable. Inna hadha la shayun hujab. He wants to make all of our deities into one, only worship one, none of these others. That is something rejected to them. And that is what the Shaykh says, they will say to you now, when you try and explain to some of them, calling upon the dead is shirk. Making dua to them is shirk. Depending upon them, relying upon them, putting your attachment to them is shirk. Screaming and shouting, no it's not, this is not shirk. They are righteous people, they're barakah, they bring us closer to Allah. They will scream and shout to you some of them. وَبِهِ تَعْرِفُ أَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِمَّنْ يَنْتَسِبُ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ This is from the explanation of Ali Shaykh. كَثِيرًا مِمَّنْ يَنْتَسِبُ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ لَيْسُ عَلَى الدِّينِ That many of the people who attribute themselves to this religion, they are not upon this religion in reality. إِنَّمَا مَعَهُمْ إِسْمُهُ فَقَطْ Many of them only have the name, Islam, Muslim. They have the name, the reality of understanding Tawheed and Shirk, practicing it, that they do not know. لا يعرفون ما هو الشرك الأولين. They do not know ما هو الشرك الأولين. What the shirk of those early mushrikun at the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was. They don't know. فلو عرف أحدهم شرك الأولين وشرك أهل هذا الزمان لوجده هو هو. If they were to realize properly understand that the shirk of those mushrikun is exactly this practice of theirs now, they would then realize they are identical. 
they would then realize they are identical. بَلْ مُشْرِكُ هَذِهِ الْأَزْمِنَةِ أَعْظَمْ مِنْ شِرْكِ أُولَئِكَ بِكَثِيرٍ And to the extent that the mushrikun of this time are in reality even more severe in their shirk than the mushrikun of the earlier times. And the shaykh, he will touch upon that later. And he touches upon it in some of his other books as a specific principle in one of his books. And that is Al-Qawaid Al-Arba'a, which principle? The fourth one when he mentions that the shirk of the people of this time is more severe than those who came before because the ones who came before only used to commit shirk at times of We have a big problem now. We're going to have to start debating with some people, put them aside and go with the book from the beginning. So, the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet wasallam, they only used to commit shirk at times of ease or difficulty. We still have a split. In times of ease, Anybody still want to say at times of difficulty? In times of ease. You remember it mentions in the four principles at the end, the ayat in the Quran, when they are on the ships and the waves are coming and they're about to drown, who do they call upon? They call upon Allah sincerely in times of distress and difficulty and they're about to die because they know only Allah can save them. So in times of distress, they would call upon Allah sincerely. But when they go back to land, and they are safe and sound again now, then Then they begin committing shirk again in times of ease. When they are at ease, there's no distress, there's no death facing them. Then they begin committing shirk again. But the mushrikun of this time, when they are at ease, they are committing their Shirk. And when they are in distress and difficulty, they are committing their shirk. The example of that ship that we mentioned when it was sinking off the coast of Yemen a decade, two decades ago. And the reporters asked them, what were people saying when it was sinking? Everybody was making dua. Everybody was making dua. What were they saying? They were saying, Ya Badawi, Ya Ali, Ya Hussein. So in times of distress now, they call upon others besides Allah. So that brings us to a section where it is suitable to end and we'll begin the next section here regarding why the shirk of the current mushrikun or the later mushrikun is more severe and in fact it appears I have jumped ahead so everything we're going to mention next week is coming. So all, uh, what we've talked about briefly now, that is what's going to come next week with all of the ayat and the evidences regarding why the mushrikun, their affair is more severe today. And we'll uh, continue from that point, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions on that up to there today then? Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today then. Insha'Allah ta'ala, carry on next week uh, after Isha again.
وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم